Okay. Well, my brothers and sisters, today we've got in our uh, gospel, of course, a very, uh, very tough. This is a tough teaching of our Lord, and it's uh, it's an amazing fact. Uh, it's a fact of history that Jesus is the only religious teacher in the history of humanity who has ever came and given an absolute, unconditional prohibition on divorce. Okay, so divorce has been allowed in every human society from time immemorial. And uh, in every religion as well, but Jesus' religion, no. Okay, and so that's pretty special. We got to ask ourselves why. Why is that? Well, it has to do with the sacramental reality of marriage. That Jesus came and he took this natural institution and he elevated it to the level of a sacrament. So a sacrament signifies an invisible mystery or an invisible grace. And the mystery that marriage signifies is the covenant fidelity of God towards his people. The love, the unbreakable bond of love that God has <coughs> towards his people. You know, in our Old Testament readings today, we have, we recited, it's very beautiful, for his mercy endures forever. That word that's translated into in English, uh, mercy, is a Hebrew word that has to do with uh, fidelity and faithfulness, especially in connection with uh, a covenant. And so that God in the Old Testament is one of his most uh, important attributes is that he is faithful to his covenant. And then, of course, that comes to fullness in the New Testament when Jesus is faithful to the new covenant, the new covenant that he has that he has established in his blood that he shed on the cross for love of us. And so because Jesus, his bond that he makes with us is indissoluble, so also what he intended to do is to say, we're going to take marriage and we're going to make it a sacrament. For my disciples, for two baptized Christians, marriage is a sacrament. Okay, So it's no longer just a natural institution, but it's a sign of my love and my unbroken fidelity uh, for my people. So that's kind of the, the meaning behind it. It doesn't, get away, it doesn't um, do away with the human difficulties that this brings about. <clears throat> you know, just a re- little reflection today on, on adultery, on uh, the, uh, the fifth, uh, fifth commandment, sixth commandment, I'm sorry, on the sixth commandment. From what I read, from what I understand, um, kind of an, it's an interesting sociological historical fact right now is that um, adultery has been on the rise quite significantly in the past 40 years. One of the main causes they say that that's, that's true, why that's happening is because of men and women working together. Okay, so it's actually, it's this, it's the workforce, it's actually the workplace that is one of the major occasions for adultery. It's two people and the, a man and a woman, they're working together and you know, you clock the amount of time that they spend together, it's like it's more time <laughs> they're spending with this other person than they are with actually their spouse. And their spouse is over doing the same thing in another another job. So it's just kind of an interesting, you know, it's neither good nor bad, the fact that men and women are working together. But it's something that we really do need to be mindful of, that this is just a, it's a sociological reality that's new, relatively new, uh, in America and in Europe, you know, in the past, say, 50 years or so. Um, what is it, though, you know, lots of times when, when it comes to adultery, someone will say this, well... The person's cheating on their on their spouse. It must be because their relationship with their spouse. There's something wrong with it. You know what I mean? This person wouldn't be strained unless there wasn't something fundamentally wrong with that with their marriage. 
And again, actually, the statistics now are pretty clear and they're out. Uh, statistics from the past 40, 50 years, a lot of different studies have been done. It shows that that's actually not the case. It's actually not the case. Uh, how the adulterous uh, affair starts to work usually is it's two co-workers. And uh, basically what happens is this. You know, the guy says, you know, my marriage is not a problem. I have a fine marriage. I'm perfectly happy with my spouse. I love my spouse. But when I'm around this other person, they appreciate aspects of me that my spouse doesn't. Okay? So that's, so it's more about actually coming to sort of almost like they begin to sort of like in the presence of this person, they begin to appreciate new dimensions of themselves. Okay? And they feel rejuvenated. And then this whole, you know, when you, when you first fall in love, you got all of this chemistry and you're kind of floating you know, on cloud nine, and you don't have that with your spouse, okay? Because there's really two stages of love. There's that initial stage where it's very, it's a passive kind of chemical reality where, you know, you're just in love and you can't help it and it's this wonderful feeling, okay? You can analyze that with all these hormones going on in the brain. But then that starts to wear off after between six months and three years, and then you got a second phase of love where you have to then choose to love this person and work past the difficulties and all that kind of stuff. So what happens is the person who's in this workplace, they see this person who appreciates all these things about them that their spouse doesn't. They start to get all these chemical feelings and these emotions and they fall in love with this person and that's how that's how the affair starts. So uh, basically we just have to be in touch with reality. We've got to be in touch with reality. You know, there's such a thing as uh, what they call, psychologists are calling a good enough marriage. It's a very interesting phenomenon, a good enough marriage. There's been a lot written on this in the past, say, 10 years, 15 years. And what people are finding, what psychologists and sociologists are finding is that for the good of the children, you know, you can have this, this situation where the parents are not necessarily, you know, they're not, it's not like the greatest marriage ever, okay? It's like ho-hum, humdrum. They're not really, you know, there's no, there's no stars and fireworks and stuff between the two people, but they stay together, okay? And uh, ultimately, the benefit for the children is so much better. You know, the kids grow up and they'd be like, we had no, con- we had no idea that mom and dad, you know, had rough times together and were like fighting each other and really kind of didn't like each other. <laughs> we had no idea. We had no idea. We knew that they loved us. We thought we were a happy family, and you know what? I'm so grateful for that happy family, you know? And so the benefit to the children is so immense. So sometimes you ask the question, should we stay together for the sake of the children? And more often than not, it's yes, yes. Stay together for the sake of the children. We have a whole generation of kids that are, are they have seriously complicated family situations, very, very complicated family situations. And when that marital bond is broken between your parents, something changes in you, deep in your heart, unconsciously. Okay, Because that union between your mother and your father, even if there's no stars and fireworks and romance, but just the fact that they're together, just the fact that they're under the same roof, just the fact that they are working together to build a family, that is that bond is 
implanted in the heart of the child and creates a kind of matrix, a psychological matrix, whereby they are able to accept love from other people and they're able to give love. It's, a, it's like a school of love, that bond. It, cre- it creates that subconsciously in the child. Um, so, you know, even if there's no fireworks, it's not wonderful, it's not beautiful, that it, stay together for the sake of the kids? More often than not, yes. Okay, There's obviously exceptions to this where the abuse of situations, physically abusive, of course, um, you know, sexual abuse, whatever it might be, there's these situations that do justify splitting up. But more often than not, especially today with a very high divorce rate, uh, the answer to the question is, do you stay together uh, for the sake of the kids? Yes, you do. You do. Stick it out. Work out your problems. Adjust, calibrate your expectations as to what a marriage is supposed to be all about. You know, if you think it's going to be the greatest thing ever, you're going to be disappointed. There's going to be a lot of marital strife. But if you kind of just, it's not lower your expectations, but it's calibrate them to reality. Okay, if you're able to be more in touch with reality, then you're going to be more content and satisfied. And finally, my brothers and sisters, the, I, what I think today, the major, major problem is this, is the people don't have God. These husbands and wives don't have God. They don't have religion. Okay, so there's nothing really of huge, satisfying importance, like transcendently satisfying importance in their lives. So they think that the marriage is supposed to do that. Well, it's not going to be. <laughs> okay, the marriage can't replace God. So when you don't have religion, when you don't have more important, more fundamental things in your life than your marriage... Your marriage is going to inevitably disappoint you. You're going to give up and lose heart and say, Let's, that's it, we're, we're calling it off, we're going to split up. But if you got God in your life, you have a higher source of satisfaction. You have a higher uh, source of contentment. And you can live with some of the imperfections in life, including with your marriage. So my brothers and sisters, let's thank God for... Uh, you know, families that are intact and, and the blessing that brings to society. And let's pray for our young people and for our, our young married couples who are uh, striving to, to make their marriages work.